This podcast is brought to you by Seekers Hub. To listen to the rest of our shows, please visit seekershub.fm. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter called Compass, where we'll send the best of Seekers Hub's content straight to your inbox every single week. To get on the list, visit seekershub.org slash compass. MashaAllah, it is an honor to be here, and um, I don't know what to say other than I, I think that I should pass the mic back to Sheikh Fa'id so that we can hear that his, that wonderful and beautiful, that words about Sayyidah Khadija al-Kubra, that uh, his words remind me of the whole purpose that we come together, ideally on any occasion, but especially in the mentioning of Sayyidah Khadija, the Blessed wife of our Prophet Sallallahu a great woman who, after the Prophets in and the Messengers, is one of the greatest manifestations of the istifa of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala that is His divine choosing. Allah wa Taala chose Sayyidah Khadija to be the one who was going to be the first person that our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam returned to, and we'll hopefully touch upon a few of the meanings of that shortly, but before we do that we should always remind ourselves is that for us as believers is that we actively through our perspective and secondarily intentions want to make everything from the realm of the sacred. So when it comes to history we as believers are taught to that understand the most important part of history which is the sacred history. The Quran is not a book of history. The history in the Qur'an is a sacred history. In other words, the differentiation that we make between regular history and sacred history, material history, and our version of sacred history is that the meanings that we take from it, that there's manifestations of those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave victory to, and the opposite of which is that we learn about traits of people that as a result of those traits and the decisions that they make and the things that they did, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abandoned them and left them to their own selves. So for us is that this pursuit is one of a sacred nature. And when it comes to people, when we understand personalities and figures, is that we understand them differently. Is that yes, that we are people that seek pleasure just through the mere mentioning of the name. And if our Prophet would mention Sayyidah Khadija such that it was almost as if that he wouldn't stop talking about it, and subhanAllah, it was as if that... Sayyidina Sheikh Fahid and I were preparing for the same talk. I was going to quote a narration that says, in this narration, is that our Prophet ﷺ, It was almost as if the Prophet never left the house except is that he would mention Sayyidina Khadija and that he would praise her and mention her good traits. In other words, almost every time that he used to leave the house, he would mention Sayyidina Khadija. And that's not something that you can feign or not something that you can fake. That is genuine. And our Prophet is the most genuine of all people. Of course, you don't even have to say that in relation to the blessed soul of our Prophet ﷺ. So really, when we talk about these blessed people, is that there's something else that happens at a very deep level at the heart. And what happens is that when you connect two special people, is that they're like an elixir that enables you to that do in relationship to the principles of the deen what they did in their time in relation to those very same principles. 
that at a, to a certain degree, many of those principles are the same. And they're unchanging, they're static, and they're there to ground us at any time or any place. But the reality of living those principles is something else. And it's something about attaching to the hearts, with the heart level, to the people who they themselves were validated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a result of what they did in their time, is that enables us to do the same in our time. And this is very, very real. The heart connections are very, very real. And the people who came before us understood this very, very well. And in my own study that I'm doing right now, it's an academic study, may Allah Ta'ala, that allow it to finish quickly. It's that they will attack these sources that are known as hagiographical sources. And they'll say things like, they're of no benefit when it comes to history and things of this nature. Forgetting the whole purpose that they were written. Why did the people come before us right in that way? Why did they mention great things about them? Why did they mention expressions of praises in relation to them? Why did they focus on some of the miraculous happenings that happened to them? Even that if you take an average lifespan of one of them, 63 years, 60 to 70 years, and we know that there was 10 karamat or saintly miracles that happened on their hand, what percentage of their life actually was miracles? A tiny fraction where you have lived with them, the vast majority of experiences that you would have had with them were not of that a miraculous nature. But why then did that enter into the mentioning of these people when it comes in terms of their biographies? For the reason of the heart connection. Simple as that. And this is why that the people of this science have always said, مَن تَعَلَّكَ بِأَهْلِ السِّرِ يَبْدُو لَهُ السِّرِ When your heart attaches to the pious, is that what they were blessed with will come to you. Literally the people of secrets. The people that their hearts are like reservoirs to understand the world in ways that people that are relegated to the outward simply cannot understand. There is a divine wisdom behind everything that Allah does. Everything. But the only people who really have access to the, are the arbab al-basair, are the people of inner sight, are the people who can look at the word with world with peripheral vision, is that they can understand is that there's something else going on other than what we see at face value. And that requires that you see things with two eyes. Not just the outward eye, but also the eye of the heart. Without the second eye, there is no depth perception. Here, metaphorically speaking, is that there's no depth perception to understand the wisdom in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. And this is why is that this is a constant from the people who came before us all the way until this time is that it is impossible for someone to be what we would call a rightly guided scholar without having love for Allah and His Messenger and the great people that came before us. This is a constant in all of them. And that the, this understanding is epitomized by one of these blessed lines of poetry of the great Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad who said, مَحَبَّتُهُمْ دِينِي وَفَرْلِي وَسُنَّتِي وَعُرْوَةِ الْوَثْقَى وَأَفْضَلُ And this is a man who was a mujtahid in relation to the sciences of this deen. This is someone who is as active in society as you could be, even though that he was basir, that he lost his outward sight. This is a man who did an immense amount of worship from the time that he was really young. This is a man who was a prolific author, and on and on and on. And he says, after all of that, the love of them, who are them? 
the Messenger وسلم, the Anbiya, the Mursaleen, the righteous from their ummas that came before us and the great people that came from after our Prophet وسلم, from our own ummah. He says, the love of them is my deen. And what an eloquent way to say, mahabbatuhum deeni. The love of them is my deen. In other words, it's the quintessential part of my deen. It's that aspect of the deen that underlies everything else I do outwardly. وَفَرْدِ sunnati. It is my obligation and it is my recommended act. And it is my firmest handhold. And this is a very deep philosophical point, if we want to tie it into philosophy. It's my firmest handhold. In other words, is that if your heart becomes filled with the love of these people and it's attached to them, is that you will be able to navigate things in times of confusion that other people get caught up in. And it is the greatest thing of all that I have. So when we talk about Sayyidah Khadija, is that this is a hadith of hub. This is a gathering that is a sacred gathering. The greatest thing that we can achieve of that is to love her deeply. And the more, the deeper that that love is, the greater it will translate into us doing in our time what people did before in their time and we're never going to be like her. But to the degree that that meaning is there is to the degree that we can maximize our potential here. And it will be the same degree to which as that what we do is beneficial in the true meaning of the world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. So if we look at the Qur'an, what does the Qur'an say? Is that as Sheikh Fahd just reminded us, is that not only was she a mother of the believer, that she was the Sayyida of all of the mothers of the believer. But look at what the Qur'an says. And this would roughly translate as the Prophet has more right to the believers than they do to their own selves. And his wives are their mothers. And so look at the metaphor. Is that Sayyidi Khadija is our mother. And notice that the Quran not say that وَأَزْوَاجُ كَأُمَّهَاتِهِمْ They are like their mothers. Is that the Qur'an simply says, is that they are their mothers. In other words, is that oftentimes this is explained in a legal sense. Is that what would normally be impermissible for a mother, that this would be the case in relation to Sayyidi Khadija, but the meaning is much Is that if you look at this familial relationship, is that the sacrifices that your mother did for you in order for you to be alive and to do everything that it is that they are doing. That is at the very heart of this. And this is what we started to hear from Sayyidi Shaykh Fahd. Is that all of the blessings of Islam are rooted in this relationship between the Prophet wasallam and Sayyidi Khadija al-Kubra. That Dr. Fahd and us, we were sitting earlier and he had mentioned something really amazing that was actually mentioned to him by a Jewish rabbi. And if you don't mind, I'm going to share that with him. And that he had mentioned about his own tradition, is that when Moses came back from Mount Sinai, that he had a staff in his right hand and a tablet in his left. He said that when the Prophet ﷺ returned after this immense experience of revelation, and we heard the verses to begin with, when Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلْ 
were we to have revealed this Quran to a mountain, this great outward manifestation of rigor and of power and of strength, that you would have found it in a state of fear and that rendered split asunder from the awe of Allah. And our Prophet ﷺ received the Qur'an with his noble heart. His heart was firmer than any outward mountain or any outward manifestation of anything that we could deem to be firm. And the power of revelation is beyond our imagination as human beings. And if you have to delve into what some of the righteous have experienced by way of opening, as Sidi Abdul Aziz al-Dabagh mentions in the Ibriz, for us to even somewhat approximate of what possibly could have happened to the blessed heart of our Prophet ﷺ when he received revelation. This is why when Allah speaks of it, He leaves it in the nakira form, which is the indefinite form, which is a rhetorical advice to point to the fact that something being unknown indicates its greatness. وَأَوْحَى إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِ مَا أَوْحَى He revealed to his servant what he revealed. Meaning that this is not something that you could even know. It's so great that it is unknown to anyone that they themselves can't experience it. Even though we don't experience it, we know that it exists, but we don't know its true reality. And thus that we're in awe of it. So our Prophet had received this revelation and came back to Sayyidah Khadija. And as was told to Dr. Fuad by this Jewish rabbi, is that our Prophet came without a staff and without a tablet. Is that he came with the meanings of the Qur'an in his heart. But then we have to think about what is the symbolism of the staff. Let's look at the story of, the, of Sayyidina Musa. In the story where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked Moses, وَمَا تِلْكَ بِيَمِينِكَ يَا مُوسَى What is that in your right hand, O Musa? هِيَ asaya. It is my staff. And then that it is my staff. I use it to walk on. Is that I use it to herd my sheep and I have other uses for it as well. And then Allah Ta'ala commanded, it, commanded him to cast it down. We are going to return it to its initial state. One of the meanings of the staff is it's, it's the means. The staff is the asbab, it's the means. And if someone that relies upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything ultimately is from Allah. We just get caught up in multiplicity. One of the meanings of this is, is that, that multiplicity has preoccupied you. Yes, takathur also means is just hoarding worldly things and piling up worldly things to the degree that we that acquire the dunya will be to the degree that we bring about a deep-seated confusion in ourselves. But the source of everything is one. Every number ultimately is just one how many times over until you reach that thing. All manifestations of multiplicity ultimately take you back to the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we have lost that ability to do so because we're confused by understanding how everything that's happening around us relates to the One who brings all of this into existence. And this is the goal of the believer, to be able to make sense of everything. 
Because if we're confused at the level of knowledge, we'll be confused at the level of decision-making. If we're confused at the level of perspective, we'll be confused at the level of how we exercise our will in relation to what we can do and to what, how we're experiencing the world. So the staff is like the means. We will return everything ultimately to its original state. This is one of the meanings of this verse. In other words, is that nothing ultimately can take you away from Allah or veil you from Allah unless you let it happen. But our Prophet ﷺ is that there was no reliance upon any asbab. And even though all of the Prophets are great and have reached human perfection, the Prophet is the most perfect and the greatest of all of them in relation to that human perfection ﷺ. But it is significant to note is that the first person he came to was Sayyidah Khadija. And this is why, is that coming to the womb, and this is the last part of what the Jewish rabbi said to Dr. Fuad, is that she was like a womb for the birth of Islam. Even though that the Prophet himself is the Prophet of Islam. He came back to who? Sayyidah Khadija. And it was in that interaction with him, is that she was a means for great solace for him. And so that, when the Prophet said, look at khashitu ala nafsi, is that we have adab when we translate this. When he says that I'm fearful of myself, don't think this is the way that you would normally that have fear. That he was overwhelmed by the experience of revelation. But his comfort came through Sayyidina Khadija. And then what did she say? And we'll be coming back to this, because this is one part of what I really want to talk to keep it also at a very practical level. What did she say? Who is this? This is the Prophet of God, the Khatim in Nubiyyin, who just received revelation. And he comes back to Sayyidah Khadija. And she's comforting him. And she says, Kalla, which is a very strong thing to say. She's speaking to the best of creation. Kalla is a strong way to say no. Kalla, Wallah. And then she emphasized it even further. No, by Allah, مَا يُخْزِيكَ اللَّهُ أَبَدًا Allah will never forsake you. He will never let you down. And then she went on to mention five things. إِنَّكَ لَتَصِيرُ الرَّحْمِ Indeed that you maintain family ties. And I'm going to pause here and we'll come back to this. Because I want to make this a focus of part of tonight is that we focus on this practice. What five things did she notice, which is a testimony to who she was in her fiqh of the deen before the deen was even revealed, and the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepared her. And these five things, wallahi, if they were the focus of our communities, wherever we be on the face of this earth, in our time and previous times, or if the world is around in 500 years, there will be success at every single level. Because they tell us about what the reality of our deen is, and the, the criterion whereby we can know who really is bearing the prophetic spirit in terms of their service or not. We'll come back to those five things. But before we do that, think about the greatness of this. Is that Sayyidina Khadija was there to that embrace the Prophet ﷺ. And as a result of that bond, all of the good that we have today has come to us. That is immense. That is immense. So when we think about that, is that I want to think about the importance of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen to re-emphasize what Sheikh Fahd always said. This is above and beyond 
trying to do something for the sisters. That is ridiculous. That's like people that come to you to tell you to speak about stories of the prophets for their children. Can you please teach my children the stories of the prophets? As if adults don't need to learn stories of the prophets? I mean, what kind of ridiculous understanding is that? Is that we are all, even if we're 90 years old, in absolute need of the stories of the Prophet. If they are, the means of them is to do tathbeet of the fu'ad of Sayyidina Muhammad, to make his heart firm, then what about us? How much are we in need of every single meaning underlying every single one of those great stories of the Prophets and Messengers? And likewise, the righteous people of the previous nations that Allah Ta'ala has validated. But if we take this back to this understanding of Sayyidina Khadija, that there's really three meanings that come to my mind. But I want to, before I get into that, the importance of bonds. And that bonds, that this is what ultimately keeps our physical body together. Without bonds at the molecular level, is that we would not be whole as human beings is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created His creation as such. It is bound together at the microscopic level and at the macrocosmic level. Is that these bonds are the secret of creation remaining. And in a religious sense, is that bonds that take place between husband and wife, between parents and children, between individuals and community, and so forth and so on. And in general relation to the Ummah by extension with all other human beings and you could even go further than that to speak of bonds between us, yes, and even the animal kingdom, yes, and even that the plant and mineral kingdom in the greater biosphere in which we live, there is a bond that is there. And the way that we preserve those bonds is understanding all of the manifestations of the mizan, the scale. But particularly in relation to human beings, is that without bonds, there is no way for us to be successful. That first bond was created between the Prophet ﷺ and Sayyida Khadija. And then look at the other examples that we have. Then we have the bond of, with the Prophet ﷺ and Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, who was an older man already. We have the bond between Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Ali, who was a very young believer. We have the bond between the Prophet and Sayyidina Zayd, who was from the Mawali. We have the bond between the Prophet and Sayyidina Bilal, who was a slave. All of these different manifestations of people in society, bonds were instantly created. And then, as time progressed, is that you see bonds that were created, for instance, and I'm just briefly passing over this, or you could go, otherwise you can go to a lot more detail, between the Muhajirin and the Ansar. And even before the Muhajirin reached the Ansar, the Ansar had to come together themselves. The perennial fighting between the Aus and the Kharraj, it was only because they came together that they were then able to receive the Messenger of Allah and the Muhajirin. And then ultimately it was the bond between the Muhajirin and the Ansar, which is what allowed Islam to spread in over a hundred years faster and quicker than any other religion, philosophy, or anything else ever in the history of humankind. And this is why these are so important. And this is why, is that if you would look from this perspective at the blessed hadith of our Prophet ﷺ, you would find thousands of a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ about interactions with human beings. Because he realized and knew with absolute certainty the importance of bonds.
in the importance of human relationships, in the importance of that maintaining the solidarity and cohesion of the community, which was an absolute prerequisite for any good that was going to come to the Muslim or a broader non-Muslim community, wherever Muslims might be on the face of this earth. And so we have to see this in that light, is that this is the very first bond that was created on earth. And it was between our Prophet ﷺ and Sayyidah Khadija Kubra. And he's teaching something about ﷺ and how that we navigate that these bonds that are an absolute that necessity. When I think of the life of Sayyidah Khadija, I think of three things. And that there are many things, of course, that you could mention. That I think of that support, and I think of sacrifice, and I think of service. I think of support, and I think of sacrifice, and I think of service. And Sayyidah Khadija al-Kubra, she was a source of support for our Prophet And when you want to do something good for people, this is not an easy thing to do. Anyone that's been involved in any type of work will know, whenever you're trying to do something good for people, whether it's at an individual or an institutional level, it is not something that's easy. You set out to do something that's good. You devote your blood, sweat, and tears to it. Your material resources. You've sacrificed your family. And then there's people that are jealous of you. There's people that try to undermine you. There's people that criticize you. There's people who actively work against you. There's people that do all kinds of things. Your whole goal in the beginning was to do some type of good. How could it be then that all of this is happening? Someone in an almost naive sense might ask. This is going to happen. And it requires to have that we have the correct perspective so that we don't get caught up in this as that we're trying to do something that is good. Our Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wa look at everything that he went through. But this is why it's so important to have support. To have people that are unconditionally there for you when you most need them. And that is the blessed statement of our Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa that one version of which that Shaykh Fahd mentioned to us. When the Prophet had mentioned Sayyidah Khadija on this one occasion, and Sayyidah Aisha that had her, that womanly nature overcome her, and that the Prophet that then responded to what she did for him, is that she believed in him when no one else believed in him, is that she deemed him to be true when people had belied him, and she gave out from her wealth to support him when other people that had prevented them his wealth. <coughs> From, from, from any manifestation of wealth. And then, we also have sacrifice. Is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His sunnah is, He establishes the deen in any given place on the hands of real men and women. Islam is not preserved in a computer. Islam is not preserved in the cloud. Islam is primarily preserved in the hearts of men and women. When we talk about rooting the Islam in that a particular location, or we talk about the indigenization of Islam in a particular... What do we mean by that? 
We're talking about anchoring the realities of this deen in the hearts of men and women. That's really what we're talking about. Anchoring the realities of this deen in the hearts of men and women. That is what's going to allow Islam to really take root in any given context, in any geographical location on the face of this earth. And that requires sacrifice. This affair is not going to come easy. And one of the great things that one of our teachers said, truth is spread by sacrifice and falsehood is spread by money. You could have the most ridiculous idea get out there. You just have good marketing. That Atif Bayan and I were talking in the car about the incredible marketing power of Apple. That they can convince people that they're marketing a phone now, that the technology has been around for a long time, that wasn't even made by them to begin with, and somehow claim it for theirs. And people believe that and are willing to pay hundreds of dollars more. Why? For no other rational reason other than I like it better. And I'm just, I like it. That you can spread anything with money. People are very easy to manipulate. That psychologically, if you know how to manipulate people, you can manipulate them very easy. Right? But truth is spread with sacrifice. This is the sunnah of Allah wa ta'ala. In any given place, in any given time. And Sayyidah Khadija was someone who sacrificed to the utmost and sacrificed everything for the Prophet and was loyal to him. And as a result, Hashahu, when people are loyal to him, he of course is going to be loyal back. To the extent that even after his death, and look at the respect of the Prophet and the love that he had for her, teaching us how we should be with each other. When he had extra food, he would send it to the friends of, of Sayyidah Khadija. He would send it to her friends. And he would honor her friends. And this is the way that we should be, that as that children in relation to our parents, and this is from the husn and wood of a son to his father, is to take care that, and to keep in touch with those that were close to them, but also for our spouses. I'm getting five-minute warnings here, and I want to... Mm-hmm. I want to focus on these five things, which is this last aspect of service. When Sayyidah Khadija said this incredible statement, and she was using it as a proof that Allah Ta'ala would not disgrace the Prophet The Prophet had just received revelation. But she went on to say, the proof that he was upon truth was these five things. And there are so many meanings in his. But... This is a methodology for us as Muslims in our communities. And the amazing thing is, this is one of the first hadith mentioned in Bukhari. How could we neglect this? How could we neglect this? Five things. And this is before any details have been revealed about this. You maintain family ties. You maintain family ties. Whether your family is Muslim, whether your family is not Muslim. Everyone in my family is not Muslim except one. You have to maintain those family ties. You have to take care of them. You have to visit them. You have to call them. And you have to be good to them. Regardless. And I would say in our time that applies for people that do have Muslim family members that are caught up and aren't practicing as they should. 
You have to keep in touch with him. You have to keep your hand extended. And even though you need to simultaneously protect yourself, they need to know your hand is always extended to them, if indeed that they want to come back. But they're family. Don't break family ties. Number two, And look at the eloquence in her beautiful words, that it includes so many different meanings. You bear the burden of others. Other people that are going through hardship, you bear the burden on their behalf. You speak up and give a voice to the voiceless. Is that you defend people whose rights are being transgressed against. And on and on and on and all of these other manifestations. And I'm going over this quickly, otherwise you could turn this thing into a week-long seminar of different ways that we could engage in the modern world using the names of our time and the other institutions that it involves. Is that this is a methodology summed up in five points. You bear the burden of others. And again... This is before that we have legislation. This applies to Muslim and non-Muslim alike. And you shouldn't even need to say that. It should be so obvious in our mind. Bearing the burdens of others. What else? وَتَكْسِمُ ma'dum. You give to the needy. And literally the ma'dum is someone who has nothing. Almost as if they're non-existent. Because they have no place in society, they're so poor. But what do you do? Teksib. You give them kasb. You bring them up. You give them wealth. But not only that, you teach them how to metaphorically fish and how to live in society. You give them a place in society. You pick them up off of their feet and help them, or at least try to do so. And all of the other meanings that that, 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 that includes. Is that you show hospitality to your guests. You receive them hospitably. And all of the meanings of this, this doesn't just mean having people over to your home. Is that it's well beyond that? Is it the way you carry yourself, the generosity that you have, and the goodwill that you have for everyone? And then finally, is that you assist during times of calamity? Think about how many opportunities that we have to do that in our day and age. How many calamities are happening? We should be at the forefront of this work because this is the right thing to do, not because we want people to think that we're not extreme. Not because we want people to accept us. This is haq. This is the way that people truth are. This is Sayyidina Khadija's understanding, saying that the prophethood that you've just been given, the revelation you just received, the proof that Allah Ta'ala is not going to forsake you, are these five things. They're that important. Meaning is that, it's only if we are seen in our societies as doing these things and all of the things that stem from this will people receive the religion from us. This is a methodology if we live and uphold these meanings and in a very serious way work to make every single masjid that is affiliated to our community that live these meanings, not just talk about them, and we also live them at the individual level, we will see wallahi immense good from that, and you will see things that you hoped for happen that are beyond your expectations. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq, fill our heart with the love of Sayyidina Khadija, bless us to have an intimate connection with her, and live and die upon that love, and may we try to do what they did in our time. Ya Rabbil Alameen, we be given tawfiq in that. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam, wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Thank you for listening to this Seekers Hub podcast. Our goal is to raise $75,000 in monthly donations to build a global Islamic seminary. 
so that dedicated students all over the world can complete their journeys and become Islamic scholars. You can help them by becoming a monthly donor at seekershub.org slash donate.